Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast. This is episode 39, Jody Old Paints, recorded on October 13th, 2015. My name is Julie Fayfan Balzer, and with me is my co host, Eileen Shoe Balzer. Hi, Mom. Hello. So we got so much great listener mail after last uh, our last episode, which was about packing the studio. We did it in three parts. Um, it was really hard to pick the mail to read um, because we got so much great mail and so much of it was enthusiastic and positive. And I've been feeling a little bit down in the dumps since the move. And now that I'm in the midst of unpacking and actually reading through the listener mail to get ready to read some of it actually made me feel much better today. So thank you to everyone who wrote such nice, positive things. I really appreciate it. You you picked me up today when I needed it, and I appreciate that. So I thought I would jump in with a letter from Teresa. And so she says, after separating from my husband and moving into my own apartment three weeks ago, I started going through all the boxes I had packed seven years ago, which is a long story, with the stuff I would one day enjoy. Ha. Most of it went to goodwill. It's quite an odd feeling, really, to view oneself in things. Now I am moving my studio and realize that if I want to get back to who I truly am, I must shed most of it. It's been extremely difficult at times because I'm being forced to allow parts of me to die as well as resurrect those pieces of myself that have gotten buried under the clutter. I'm finding myself daring myself to be rid of it all and to start again naked, so to speak. It's a good kind of scary. And then she goes on to say that she enjoys the podcast and it was actually her first time listening. So anyway, I wanted to read... It's such a nice letter, and I wanted to read that one because there were so many things in it that I could relate to, and I think that we talked about it, and I I don't want to belabor some of them, but I think there is this idea of um, uh, letting parts of yourself die, that thing that she says, as well as resurrecting pieces of yourself, you know, that have gotten buried under clutter, and I like that idea in art so much of that you don't have to be the same artist your whole life you don't have to be the same kind of creator you know I agree and I think that actually some of the artists who have the longest uh, uh, lives in terms of uh, art uh, relevance are people who continue to change and so we continue to find them interesting we catch up to them we understand what they're doing and they're already off doing something new to challenge us yeah I mean when I was at the Picasso sculpture exhibit I I think like there's he went through so many pieces of sculpture I mean it looks like there's a thousand sculptors there when you look at his work he's sculpting in so many different materials and so many different styles and so many different things and like it is that idea that it's hard to let go of things and stuff and whatever else or like something that you've gotten good at but I think that's an important part of the process Anyway, okay, so the next one is just a story that I really liked, um, and I thought I would share it because, you know, people leave comments both on the podcast site and on the blog post about it, and so people don't always get to read all the comments, and I just wanted to share this one with you because I thought it was such a good little story. So um, this is Chris who says, I have a little story to share with you, and by the way, you and your mom are adorable, which I happen to agree with mom. We are just so adorable. Wow. Anyway, so she says, I moved from Staten Island, you know, the land of townhouses that have four to five cars each and nowhere to park them after you get through the world's longest commute and everyone is angry and defensive to slower, lower Delaware. Before the move, people were giving me every reason in the book from it's too early for you to retire to how can you do this to your mother-in-law, why we shouldn't go. 
Then I realized that they were saying these things because they were going to miss us. If there weren't reasons why you're moving, you wouldn't be at this point. So she says, and I like this advice, she says, write it down, slap it on your fridge, and go forward. Uh, we did a huge purge before moving. Crafters don't like to throw things away. It's a universal law. And I, too, had a really tough time getting rid of stuff. I'm an indecisive sort, which made it hard to part with things. And as I was running out of time because of my frequent trips down memory lane, I had to make up my mind to get rid of it or put it in boxes and deal with it later or the moving truck was leaving without me. Taking the stuff along turned out to be a wise move because we had a second purge once we got here and made the local thrift shop very happy. It was such a liberating feeling to get rid of things and not be overcluttered that we agreed every four years we would make believe we're moving again and go through everything in the house and purge. Your new place is a blank canvas. Keep envisioning where you'll lay out everything to make it functional and organized and label a drawer mechanical pencils. <laughs> That's a, some personal advice for me, obviously. Uh, this is an exciting chance to start fresh, and although it's stressful, it can also be exciting. Anyway, once we were in Delaware and calmed down, we realized that we were living a life of anxiety in New York but didn't know it. It feels good to de-stress. De People are so nice here that we thought they were putting us on. They live a slower life, and if someone isn't paying attention when the light turns green, you just wait behind them till they wake up and hope you get through the intersection the next time around. They think we talk very fast and get a kick out of trying to figure out what we're saying. When I get tired, my New York accent kicks in and people have no idea what I'm talking about. It's fun playing stump the locals. And although it hadn't crossed my mind, it's truly wonderful discovering different nature and wildlife, even bugs. I don't miss the rats of Staten Island. If you think you won't have inspiration because you're out of New York City, you're in for a great surprise. Look how many famous artists went through different periods. Hey, mom, we're on the same page. Look at that. Mm. Even learning the different roads around a new location is an adventure. Good luck. Look ahead with excitement. Don't overthink the move and embrace your destination. Well, you've already found the bugs because the spiders that are in your yes. new apartment. Yes. The good, the good news is when I was uh, hanging shelves, I was up near the ceiling and I said, oops, get me a tissue. There's lots of spiders. Um, so I managed to kill those. But there are a couple things in here that I really like. Besides just her general positivity, which, again, I really appreciate – um, I also had a run-in with people being so much nicer once you are not in New York. I went to a local store here to buy some um, shelves and stuff to put together the new apartment. And uh, I couldn't lift some of the shelves off the shelf. They were they were too heavy. So I asked someone who worked there and he was very nice and he helped me. And then he said, don't worry, I'll help you out to your car. And I said, thank you. And he helped me out to my car. And of course, you know, I'm from New York. I pull a $10 bill out of my purse and he looks at it and he looks at me and he's like, no, thank you. It's fine. You know what I mean? And it was almost like I had insulted him with the tip and I was so confused. I was like, do people just do things to be nice? I don't understand what's happening. Wow. You're not oh, in Kansas God. anymore. Julie, I can so relate to both of these. And then I feel bad because I haven't caught up to where, where are you actually moving to? Or have you already moved? I have moved. I'm outside of Boston now. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm just going to chime in here. I can totally relate because I just moved my um, studio from my home base to a new studio. And I'm sitting here looking at all this stuff. And I'm sitting here doing this interview in my um, home studio. And I just wish I had cleared out even more clutter because it is refreshing just to start new. And um, it's just, it is crazy to think about like all the things that we collect over the years and how when we can start fresh, we can, you know, almost like keep changing up our art and clear away all the stuff that you know we've collected over the years that really are meaningless or don't have as much meaning to us anymore so um i i, don't, I totally can relate to both of those um emails you just got yeah well i think it's also like i have this thing too where it's like oh i paid a lot of money for this what a waste if i you know pass it on but i think that's a really bad mentality to get into you know 
You know what it is? It's like eating something you hate just because you bought it. If you hate it, don't eat it. Or if you don't yeah. have a use for it anymore and somebody else could benefit from it, you're you're passing out the torch in a different way. It's true. And I will say like one of the things that I take over from Weight Watchers is always the idea that, um, you know, if that you are worth, quote unquote, wasting the money of wasting the food, meaning, you know, okay, so you bought that piece of pizza, but it's not worth the 12 points it's going to be if you throw it away, you're, you're worth that, you know, the $10 or if a slice of pizza costs $10, then you must be in New York, you know, whatever, (laughs) you're you're worth the $3? What does a slice of pizza cost around here? Anyway, that it cost. Oh my gosh. So are you all set up in your new studio now? No. No. (laughs) We're in the unpacking phase. In fact, we unpacked that we finally got the computer out yesterday because we knew had the podcast today. So this is the very first, like, thank God, thank goodness the computer's up moment. Wow. Why don't you introduce the guest now? Yes. Why don't I introduce the guest? Okay. So our guest today is a mystery and you have to guess who it is. No. Okay. So (laughs) our guest today is Jody Ohl. And um, Jody is a self-taught mixed media artist originally from Dunkirk, New York, who now resides in Aberdeen, North Carolina. And since I follow her on Instagram, I've been very hotly looking at all of her fancy new studio digs. And I want to talk about that. Um, also, having recently left her day job to pursue her artistic career full time, she has uh, built a body of work that is known for its distinctive texture, bold color combinations, which are often whimsical or abstract compositions, as well as motivational in nature. Um, and she's represented by regional galleries in North Carolina and several others along the East Coast. She also teaches a lot. In fact, she and I met at um, the Create Retreats. Uh, that's where we were both teaching. And when she is not painting, she enjoys time with her two sons, Josh, who's 15, and Zach, who's 21. And if you saw her, you would be shocked that she's old enough to have children that old because she looks like she's 25. Um, and she has a new book coming out, which I want to talk about too in the latter part of 2016. So welcome, Jody. Oh, gosh. Thank you so much for that warm introduction. I'm excited, I'm excited to be here and talk to you. So yes, let's we didn't t- meet at Create. I think that was a couple years ago. Yeah, so. definitely. Create, which I'm so sad doesn't exist anymore. I, um, uh, it, I can't tell you how many people I've met over the last year that since they announced that Create um, was canceled and how disappointed they are. You know, But and as you probably are doing the same thing. I've gone to a lot of small regional galleries and shops and have been teaching and, you know, I'm still, I'm seeing actually a lot of the same faces, which is kind of unique. They just don't get to go to the same, um, the one big event anymore. So, but yeah, we are definitely sad about that. Well, you know, I always think that like the thing is those, for me, at least when I think about those big art retreats, the thing that I like as a student of going to those is that it's just, you get so many different teachers all at once in a big blast, you know, and yes. you don't have to, you travel once basically. So it makes it worth it. Like uh, it makes it worth it to me to go to Chicago when it's going to be five days of classes, you know? Exactly. That's, that's the great part about it. So, and the, but and the, on the flip, on the flip side, the nice part of doing the, the smaller intimate venues is I feel like I've gotten to really know my students even more so than I did in the past. You know, so they both have their their pluses and minuses, but it definitely is a great thing for the students and the teachers teachers as well, for sure. Well, let's talk about your um, home studio versus, and let's talk about your fancy new studio and that whole <laughs> process because it's fascinating. 
I know, I know. It's been it's been really quite the adventure. I mean, actually, like I've been working on my home. Um, when I first bought this house, I knew I was going to leave my day job, so I actually have a pretty sizable studio in my home. And I was my mindset was like, okay, at least I have a place to work here. I don't have to pay rent anywhere else. And it's been working out really good. But as I've grown and work, and and I'm sure you probably understand this too, like working from home. Um, you know, at certain points of times, I kind of feel isolated. So it was really great to have this new opportunity to um, work with. Um, actually, the person that is running the business is my um, somebody I hired and met through another um, art event. Um, but she was working as my assistant for a few hours a week, and this new um, place opened up. That was, it's like a like a set of three buildings, historic buildings that have been renovated, and we rented one of the buildings. And there's a two working artist studios in this um, place. And then Jan's managing the whole business. So we have a gallery, we have two working artist studios, and then we have a classroom space. So, and we just opened up October 5th, it was, 3rd or 5th, I forget, whatever the first Congratulations. I know, well, super congrats, that's brand new. I know, it's super brand new, yeah. So we're, we're super excited. And then, um, so I haven't, I don't have a, um, I'm going to be able to teach um, at the studio, which is really nice to have a place um, close to home. So I have a couple classes on the agenda, but I'll have more in 2016 because of course, you know how it is, like we already have prior commitments almost a year out. So it's kind of already booked like this, this last like six or eight weeks have been really super crazy and will continue to be crazy up until like mid November for me. And then, <clears throat> excuse me, then I'll start to settle down and then I'll, we'll start back up in February to travel again. <laughs> That's craziness. So, so let, let's talk a little bit. So, so your business partner, so do you have two partners? Yes. Well, actually, and, and, um, let me kind of um, circle back a little bit. Jan is actually the owner of the business. She's managing it. And, and Jean and I are running space within her studio. But with that said, we all are working together as a team. It's just that Jan's handling the, the retail end of it for the most part. So, yeah. So there's there's two, two three of us all together. So her conception is, uh, is, is the gallery just the, your work, the two of you, or is it other people's work too? Right now, we have about 15 different um, North Carolina artists uh, all represented in the gallery part of it. And we're looking to grow a little bit more, too. And there's a chance that there's like another space right right next to us that may open up down the road. So we're kind of thinking about we may want to expand at some point. But yeah, it's a, actually a pretty sizable. There's a 1,600 square feet. And Jean and I each have 200 square feet for our studio. And then the gallery is the rest of the the um, uh the storefront and then we have like a section for about 12 to 15 students and then if we want to have bigger classes uh, the building right next to us is a meeting hall that they've they're renovating for weddings and showers so they can hold up to 126 people there so if we wanted to have larger classes we can rent the the facility next door to us that would be a really big class yes <laughs> i've never had a class that big but you know the, you know the good part is that they, they can section it off and we can have lots of room to play so that's standing, of course. So um, more for like a reception event. So, but, you know, we're definitely like looking forward to, you know, to having larger um, classes and all sorts of exciting things. So, yeah, we've been working on this for the last couple of months, but we actually just opened the doors on the 1st of October. That's exciting. You know, I've taught uh, a class of 100 a couple of times at like big events where you do it, where it's such a different experience from teaching, you know, 20 people. 
because you can't you just can't make it around to everyone so you end up it's much more like there's a powerpoint and then there's your class and then you have a helpers who go around it's right. it's sort of more assembly line i would say that is i can't imagine doing that so hats off to you cuz i think the biggest <laughs> class i've ever taught was 25 students so but you've been doing this a lot longer than me so i haven't had quite had that experience but even with 25 people it can be a little chaotic at times <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I think like I think I I always think I can handle up to 25 people. And after that, I need an assistant or somebody else, because the truth is yes. people you people need that personal touch of going around and really talking to them. It's and teaching is not about just that moment where you're demoing something. It's about the stuff that happens sort of in between. Oh, absolutely. I agree. And I enjoy that part, too. So, you know, it would be hard not to want to go around and you know really talk to everybody. Uh, but like you said, in a, in a class with 120 some people, that's just not practical. But but yeah, that's definitely part of my teaching style, too. I love going around to, you know, you know, talking to everybody and just seeing how everybody's doing and, you know, really giving that hands on experience. And that's the difference between, you know, online workshops and in-person workshops. A big part of it is that the interpersonal relationship you develop with your students. So so let's talk a little bit about online versus in-person workshops. So how how do you try to give that personal touch to your students online? Well, I, I for me, I, I try to be very accessible um, and you know, I, you know I, def, I set up a, a Facebook group and really encourage a conversation and um, you know and be interactive when when students are posting questions and you know, and I, I, most of my classes are ongoing, so they're live, you know, after they're live, you know, they'll, they can have access to them for a lifetime. So, you know, when you first open a class, there's a lot of activity and you, you have, you, know, you spend a lot more time, you know, chatting with people and your students and, you know, answering questions. But, you know, I'm finding even after the, you know, the time has passed where the class is launched, you know, it's just here and there. So just really, you know, keeping, you know, being open to, you know, you know popping into your group on a regular basis and encouraging that, you know, and also, you know, having an open door policy, you know, if students don't feel comfortable posting in a group, offering up my email. And I also have toyed around with this idea. I just haven't executed it where, um, you know, maybe some of my more in-depth workshops doing a, you know, one-on-one -on -one consultation for like maybe up to 25 people um, during the course of the class. And so I think that all, that too can be a definite benefit of having that, you know, one-on-one -on -one coaching session you know, after the student has done the project. So, and it is a challenge. How do you do it? What, what are your suggestions? Uh, well, I mean, I have a message board and like a social stream and stuff like that in the classroom that people can post to. I always think that the thing about online classes is the ability to rewind and sort of fast forward uh, and, you know, relook and whatever else at the videos is the thing that makes them such an amazing value. And oh, it's, yeah. it's interesting to me when people charge less for an online class than an in-person class. I mean, I understand, obviously, there's the schlep and everything involved with an in-person class. But online classes, um, to a certain extent, offer you a greater value because in an in-person class, that's one day you sort of have to remember what you did, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas with an online class, at least the way I do it, is you have lifetime access, mm -hmm. you know. And so that's an incredible thing to be able to go back and watch it no matter, you know when it is i think that's a reason that people also like instructional dvds and all that kind of stuff where you can just go back and back and back and see it and i know that when i teach online what i try really hard to do is anticipate questions anticipate problems yeah. and hopefully that gives people you know um the sense of what's happening the same as they would at an in-person class you know 
right than what ifs. I agree with you totally. And I, for one, I feel like my prices probably have been too low for what I'm doing. Um, so I'm trying to work on a new pricing structure for two, structure for 2016. Well, while still giving a really tremendous value, but kind of you know that same mindset. Like you know, after you give so much and you do give you know lifetime access, and I actually feel like you probably can get even more information into an online class because you don't have to worry about any you know interruptions, and you can really be very clear and specific and on your instructions and give a more thorough demo just because you, you, you're not going anywhere and you have time to let things dry and you go, you, like you said, the editing process. So anyways, I feel like, you know, like you can almost give a lot more uh, content. So I'm probably going to start pricing my workshops a little bit differently and segment them into a tutorial class or just like a small, easy project. That'll be one price point. And then we're going to, you know, something more of an intensive project. That'll be my my class structure, and then my workshop would be my really intensive um, class where there's a lot of different segments, and you work on two or three different, you know, pretty intensive projects, and that'll be the top tier of my my grouping. So that's something I've been, you know, toying around with ideas for. You know, the business end of things is always such a huge part of any artist, and and I mean, I know that you mentioned that you had an assistant. Do you do you still have an assistant? Well, Jan, the manager or the owner of our shop. Soon as things settle down, um, she's going to start working again about four or five hours a week for me. And that's really all I need is just somebody to do like, you know, she helps me in my Etsy shop and she'll help me package stuff and price stuff and um, really great at promotions. And she's done a lot of little tweaking on my blog. So it's been so helpful. Um, and as far as like in-person assistant, I don't have a studio assistant, but I do have like a friend that will come and hang on my paintings for me when I have them already and, and help me like, like things like that or or frame my work for me if I need it framed that's so, um, nice to have someone who will frame your work yeah actually I, I it's been very nice very expensive I mean he's not cheap but it's still it's like I can usually call on him whenever I need some extra help and, and he'll get it done for me framing is actually I don't think people will ever realize framing is actually very expensive in general yes yes it but is very expensive it's one of those things, though, that I think um, the right frame on your artwork really does make it sing. Oh, yeah. And it's a it's a craft. And I didn't realize all the, the craftsmanship that goes into it. And I, I have to admit, like, you know, my mindset prior to, like, you know, meeting this person that helps me with my framing, you know, to just send it off to Michaels. And no offense to Michaels. I'm sure they do a wonderful job. But it doesn't have that personal service. I mean, like, he was able to tell me, you know, about the different glass and how I should have it matted. And even how he was coming up with the framing, you know, op op options for me. It was just, it was a work of art. You could just tell he was so passionate about it. And, um, you know, it's, it's definitely, you know, and all the time that he took to, you know, really look into what type of wood and what size and how to, sh you know, it was just really impressive. So I have a newfound respect for all the work that goes into framing. Do you frame your canvases or just your paper prints? Just my paper prints. And really, that's kind of started when I started doing the, the grunge ink um, paintings, because I, I actually haven't painted a whole lot on, on um, paper. I've used Yupo paper uh, quite a bit in a lot of my classes. Um, and then when I started the grunge ink about uh, probably a year and a half to two years ago, um, those a lot of those need to be you know, framed. So you know, he was helping me with that. But I'm actually starting to work a little bit more on paper. So going forward, I'll probably need more work done on, in the framing end of it. <laughs> Mom, did I interrupt you? No, but you often do. <laughs> I'm so glad that <laughs> we know that now. Answer. I love it. <laughs> um, what is grunge painting? Um, 
my grunge ink is using um, indie ink, Golden's High Flow acrylic, um, or Golden's High Flow acrylics, and regular acrylic ink, and a whole bunch of stuff working on Yupo paper. And um, have you ever worked on Yupo paper, Yupo paper before? Only once or twice, I think. Okay, so you get some. You can get some really cool effects with adding and subtracting and wiping off and doing things with alcohol ink. And I just call it grungy because of the colors I've been using. And it's so, I, I love like the layers of like, like looking at an old building that's kind of like worn down and you have like years of paint kind of graffiti-ish kind of looking. Um, and that to me like is what like the style is, although you can take it into any different direction. So I have an online class called Grunge Ink. And then I also have a few new DVDs coming, or they, they actually did come out in October from um, Interweave, and we did a smaller version called Graffiti Grunge. Um, it gives you kind of a sampling of what the the fuller the full workshop is. For, people who, For don't, people who don't know what Yubo paper, paper is, is anybody hearing an echo of me or is it just me? Yes, I just heard it for the first time. Okay, I just heard it too for the first time. Anyway, maybe it's gone now. Okay, so for people who don't know what Yupo paper is, will you explain that? Absolutely. It is actually not a paper at all. It's a plastic. And so, um, and it was actually traditionally made for packaging materials. And there's a, probably a lot of packages that you, um, uh, like, so let's say, for example, the, the one that comes to mind, because I remember it on one of their, their ads, um, is the Hershey syrup. Um, you know, the, like the plastic label that goes in front of it. Yes. Um, where you see that is actually a Yupo paper, but a smaller version. And of course it's adhesive. Um, so it's waterproof and it's, um, so what happens is that the paint or the ink or watercolors, whatever you're using, alcohol ink can be used, can be used on Yupo paper too. Instead of, um, evaporating into the paper, like traditional watercolor paper, it actually, the, um, the paint will evaporate out. So you're left with a film and you can get all sorts of really cool marks and um, actually and it usually makes the paint more vibrant than you do on watercolor paper where it kind of mutes it out because it's, it's evaporated into the paper, if that makes sense. And it's um, recycled material. You can buy it um, in different weights, just like traditional paper. Um, I think 70 pounds, 140 pounds. And you can also buy it clear, which I have not used a clear yet. So I don't really know a whole lot about that, um, but super cool. And it normally comes in size 9 by 12, 11 by 14, but you can buy poster size paper. And that I absolutely love working on because you can really get some crazy techniques and effects with that. Cool. I'll put up a uh, link to Yupo paper for people who are interested in the show notes too. So you can check it out. Um, yeah, and it's and funny. I'll just do a shameless plug. <laughs> I'll just do a shameless plug. I'm also, I also have a DVD out that does watercolors on Yupo paper. So you can, Check those out on Interweave um, store, and it's, it's both a graffiti grunge and expressive watercolors on Yupo paper. I'll put links up to those also so people can find the DVDs. Awesome. <laughs> okay. I'm making myself a note, so I remember to do it. Okay. Um, also, I am just thought that we should loop back for a second because I wanted to talk about the home studio versus the out-of-home studio and how you're dividing. I mean, I know it's very new right now, but what your plan is right now in terms of dividing your time, your supplies, you know, all that kind of stuff. I know. Well, I'm looking right here, and I could probably outfit two more studios. Is that not shameful or what? <laughs> 
Oh my gosh, it's, it's, it's totally ridiculous. I think that comes from teaching because I, and I think we talked about this earlier um, when we were first, you know, getting together about the, the interview, is I schlep so much stuff to my classes, it's, it's like totally ridiculous. Um, and I'm a, I'm a collector just like many other artists. So I definitely could tone down my collection of art supplies. But right now my, my plan is to work up at the outside of this, the outside studio as much as possible and try to use my home studio for more development kind of things, you know, class development, um, you know, me writing a book. So I'm trying to work on some of my book projects here or anything that I need a little bit more concentration on. Um, Cause even today, like, you know, that, that, this is something interesting working in a studio where there's customers coming in and out. Um, and today we had, a lot of customers and so everybody wants to kind of talk to you and you know which is great we want to you know engage as much as possible but I can see where if I need to really focus on certain projects I may have to do that at home so it's all kind of new but that's kind of my game plan to work on the private projects class development or just something like you know I just you know want to just kick back and work on my journal or whatever here and then my bigger projects I mean it is so nice to have such an organized clean clutter-free space because I don't want to junk it up because it is a store too <laughs> so I'm very conscientious about putting away everything after I'm done so I, I just love it I can't I'm so I'm very excited about it is it kind weird? of like living, living in a model home I know exactly exactly I'm very you know we're excited for what, what's going to happen and and I, I can actually work big I actually have a really um cool thing that they did the owners did the or reno, that renovated the building they took an old mano mantle like a fireplace mantle and they put it up on the wall for me so Ooh. i have like a, a wall easel that's kind of kitschy you know and i can fit like it's, it's five feet long so i can work really big on that that's a great idea for installing like a wall easel basically in your house that's a really fun idea yeah, it's, it's super cool and it's perfect because it has that little ledge so I can, you know, the canvases don't slip off and um, very convenient. Is it I weird having people watch you work? <laughs> it is. You feel like you're on show. <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I actually haven't, I've, I've been doing this for a while now, uh, like where people kind of popping in. It's only since we opened the doors that are, you know, we've seen a regular flow of traffic and yeah, it, it is definitely weird you know, having people watch you work. So, but it's, it's a lot of fun too. It's like, um, and I've done actually a couple live paints. And I just love it. Um, and that's, and we did, I did those at um, different festivals that we have going on. And basically you just take like an you know, hour or two and you have people, you know, working outside in the tent and doing a really large painting and just going to town and having fun. People come up and they're just like, you know, su super excited to see what you're doing. And a lot of times, like if there's little kids, I'll let them paint on the canvas too. And they get excited about, you know, getting into, you know, having a hand in the artist's work. So I, I do enjoy it, but it is, you know, at times intimidating too. I actually kind of similar, Julie, to when you're sketching outdoors and people come over and look over your shoulder. Yes, which I always feel intimidated by because I don't think I'm a particularly good sketcher. And then I always feel like they're going to come over and be disappointed by what they see. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I know, I, right? I think I think like listen there's a show off inside me I mean sometimes even when I'm doing a class demo I have this nervous moment of oh god I hope this turns out okay you know <laughs> uh because you want it to be good but the truth is I I make a lot of really terrible crappy looking stuff and 
I have learned over the years how either to turn left or to keep going or to whatever until it gets to where I want. But sometimes in a public situation or under a time limit, it's very difficult. And I've also learned patience in terms of like the painting is not going to look good until it's done, because if it looked good in the middle, then it would be done, you know? Exactly. And exactly. so I, I don't know. I think it's I think it's a hard and intimidating thing. And actually, I recently saw something really interesting on Instagram, which is there's a woman I follow whose name escapes me, unfortunately, who uh, is a painter, and she's been doing these live paintings at weddings. So people hire her to make a oil painting of their wedding. It's usually oh like God. of the reception. Mm-hmm. And she sits there and she paints the painting of their reception, you know, usually it's like dancing and you see like tables and lights and whatever else. And it sort of becomes like an event at the wedding because obviously they could have it painted from a photo later if they really wanted, but they clearly like they're wanting the event of the live painting at the wedding. Oh my God, that is really brave. I mean, I could do abstracts in front of people, but I don't think I could do something with actual people in the scene. So that, how cool is that though? What I, I like that idea. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and I mean, why restrict yourself to weddings? It strikes me that there are other kinds of events, you know, and, you're, and this is not dissimilar at some level from people who come in and they paint your house, you know, a, a picture of your house. Mm-hmm. It's like it nowadays photography is so cheap and easy and somehow a painting seems so much more uh weighty. Right. Has a, like it carries a little bit more sentimental value, I think. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's special in a different you said way. About, you're mentioning something about like just having the confidence like what you're painting um so that you can, you know when to go left and when to go right. I think that just so such a really um great point to make because the more you do you do create even if you're in a stressful situation um you do have to start building up that confidence you become a problem solver and you, you just know instinctively or believe that you can figure out what the next step is so yeah definitely i agree with you there i think actually i mean it's gonna sound silly but that that phrase like problem solving i feel like that is the key to so much art making and I mean also like obviously so much business of art as well but Mm -hmm. there's something about understanding that as you create obstacles come up and it's embracing those right those creative opportunities it's embracing those obstacles I think that makes the difference between someone who feels not someone who is successful, but someone who feels successful in their work and someone who feels, you know, negative in their work. Exactly. Exactly. And like you said, like, and it just, it hurts my heart when students, like when I'm teaching a class and they're so upset with themselves because they're not, you know, it's not coming out that they want, but the way they want. But like you said, like most of them are at the middle for a good portion of the class and they're not at the end, you know, sometimes even at the end of the class. And, you know, and it's, it's so, it's, I, I always like to impress apart, you know, that, you know, rarely do most artists finish things in a day or even sometimes two days, three days, a month or more. So to put that, all that pressure on yourself that, to have a perfect piece, even though, you know, a lot of times we want to walk away with a pretty little thing, you know, but, and, you know, most art takes a long time to percolate. And, you know, when you're in your classroom setting, you can't, don't put all your pressure on yourself that you have to have it perfect. 
the time that we walk out the door, but to, you know, soak in all the, you know, the techniques and the, you know, just the ambiance of being with all these creative individuals is such a great experience if you let it, you know, happen. A related thing, which I think is important, is that sometimes you have to redefine the problem that you're solving halfway through. Yes, absolutely. So you may have said, oh, I'm going to paint this uh, realistically, this dog. And then later it may turn out that what you really were doing was something completely different. And if it's okay with you, it's, uh, it, that's fine. You know, yeah. I, I think this happens with a lot of things in life. You, you're going f- for a particular goal and maybe you need to be open to the fact that there might be other things that will uh, change your trajectory and that's okay. Well, this totally yeah. actually reminds me of this morning, Mom. You and I had a conversation. So my brother is in the middle of writing a film script and he mm-hmm. sent it over to my mom and she said one of the things you said to me is you said uh it's interesting because i think he's inadvertently set up this and then you listed this whole other thing that he had set up sort of you know without totally realizing it and i think that that is a great example of like being open to something new coming up which you may have sort of subliminally you know, or accidentally gotten a hold of something, you know what I mean? And you got to go towards it. And I find that sometimes in art, that's the thing that time does. And also a second set of eyes, which is you walk away from the painting or the art journal spread or the scrapbook page or whatever it is for a little while. And when you come back, you can see it so much more clearly. And the same as like somebody else can look at what you've done and say, oh, I love how you've used red in this. And you think, hmm, I didn't do that on purpose. Let me now attack it with that in mind. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, having that second set of eyes, walking away, taking a picture, those are all great things just to, you know, just to really separate yourself for just a little bit if things are not going the way you think they're. But I think we're all, all also our worst own critic, you know, and so we're often hardest on ourselves and more hard than anybody else would be. And it's funny because, like, I remember, you know, recently in the last few months, like, you know, you know, um, conducting a class and taking pictures. And I remember one student who was not happy with something, how something was going. And wouldn't you know, like when I posted those pictures, that painting was the one that most people commented on. So, and she was just so hard on herself. I mean, I just thought it was kind of interesting and, you know, seeing how we view ourselves so differently than what the world views ourselves or our work. I think that's true in all sorts of ways. And what's that old Eleanor Roosevelt quote about, um, you'd worry a lot less about what other people think about you if you realize how rarely they do. <laughs> that's a great saying. I love it. Taking a picture is really good because in general, you know, just how you look at your own face and you say that pimple is huge <laughs> and everyone is looking at it and no one is seeing it. When you take a picture, you see the whole very differently. Sometimes I'll go and try on clothing, you know, in a store. And by taking a picture, I get a much better idea of whether this actually is working for me or not. That's a great idea. I'm going to have to start doing that. You know what they used to sell to quilters is, and this is pre-cell phone, so it makes sense that they used to do this, which is they would send, you know those, um, the thing that you look through in the door, I don't know what it's called, like the peephole Okay. Okay. Or whatever. Anyway, so what they would do is they would sell you the peephole. So, but it was a like um, anti magnifier, and what it did is you would look at your quilt, and it would reduce it. 
Ah. So that it was like a small image for you to see. And that way you'd be able to see like where colors were blending, where they weren't, like what was happening. And I remember when I first learned to quilt, like that's one of the first tools I actually bought because it was such a cool idea. Then, of course, like the smartphones came in with the camera and the this, and then you don't need that uh -huh. because you just take a little photo and you look at it little and it is different. Yeah, absolutely. I, I use it all the time and I often see things like, oh, you know, fix it. Obviously, it's, it's also great to document your work too, see how the, the progress. It is, it is. And it also, I find now that I have a lot more confidence about painting over stuff because I figure, well, I have a photo of it. If I really like the photo, then, you know, that's fine. <laughs> I don't need to have it in real life. Do you paint over a lot of stuff or is I it do. something you just start? I paint over a lot of stuff because again, like, I mean, maybe now that I have more space here, I won't need to, but like in New York, in my apartment, it was like, if another thing comes into this apartment, <laughs> I'll have to, you know what I mean? And you, you make so many canvases. And so I would just, I would find stuff where I was like, eh, not feeling it anymore. Let's paint it. I'll tell you that she also threw out a bunch of artwork in Aww. clearing out her apartment. I mean, just literally into the garbage. I've done that. I have to admit that I've done both of both of that those actions before too. And and often the ones that when I paint over, those are the ones that I actually end up loving the best. I don't know if it's like more texture or more depth of color or whatever, but those end up being like the best paintings. But I totally get it, or or they don't represent my style anymore. And um, I'm I'm pretty open to painting over too. I, I do try to take a picture of things though before I do it. Julie it's also turned some canvases she didn't like. She turned them into bags. Oh, like wow. shoulder bags and things. Right, because it's that canvas. Awesome. So if you rip it off right. the if you rip it off the wooden stretcher bars, right, you're just left with painted canvas. I'm gonna have to try that because I have a painting which I'm so mad about. I mean, it's, and I really love it, and I probably could fix it. But have you ever got those canvases that are the thicker? They're not the thick profiles, and they warp from time to time. Yes. And I have about two or three of them that I just have in my studio. I'm thinking about just taking them off the frame and. Know, turning them into something but that's a great idea to turn them into a pocketbook or whatever yeah you can also restretch them or have your framing guy like rip them off and frame <laughs> them as if they're flat art right there you go that's a great idea yeah it's not over till it's over <laughs> exactly uh and i think that i think that that idea is not over till it's over is a huge thing it's and i know we've quoted this line a million times on this podcast but it's so true which is you know it's all okay in the end and if it's not okay it's not the end. Exactly. And I think I you got, just got to always be resourceful and keep thinking like if you don't and it doesn't matter. And this is the other thing, which is I think it's great that like everybody liked that girl's painting from your class that she didn't like. But at the same mm -hmm. time, I'll say you have to find the balance between uh, if you live and die on what other people like or don't like, that's a really dangerous place to be it, it, you have to find that internal place now if you're a person who hates everything you make that's also a terrible terrible place to be so it's about like you have to reach some sort of equilibrium where you're able to discover and find joy in some of the things you create and to know when things aren't working to be able to verbalize why they're not working to be able to move them you know over somewhat to where they need to be etc and to like trust yourself and believe that you you do know because I think just you know waiting for the uh, approval of others is such a dangerous dangerous situation. I, I totally agree with you, and, and like e even for myself, like I try not to 
compare myself to any other artist or anybody really. Um, but I always try to improve myself. And so that's the only comparison that I really try to do. And, you know, it's, I, I can see my improvements. You know, I can, I can see like, let's say for example, faces, I have a stack of faces I've done like, you know, in drawings and I can look back to see my progression and I'm really, really happy with myself, but I'm not going to compare myself with, you know, somebody who does like amazing faces and like, Oh geez, you know, they have a pity party, but I'm having a celebration to see how far I've come. You know, the and, best um, example of that I feel like is handwriting, which is mm -hmm. we all have our own handwriting, you know, yes. it is personal to us It is the way that we write. Now I look at some people's handwriting and I think, wow, that's glorious. And I look at some other people's handwriting and I think, mm, I'm not sure that that's legible. <laughs> you know, and and I think like, but that thing is like, either way, that's personality. Now I can work hard to make my handwriting look like the best version of itself, but I can't actually copy somebody else's handwriting. It's just never going to happen, you know. I mean, literally, forgers, very talented forgers, work for years and years and years <laughs> to copy handwriting, and often do not get it right. That's how hard it is to copy somebody's handwriting. So the question that I have is why should your handwriting be different than the way that you paint, hold a brush, collage, do any of those things? It's just as personal. So trying to copy yeah. somebody else's handwriting or somebody else's painting style is just it's just never going to happen. You can get better within your own, you know, handwriting. You can like right. push towards things and try different things and do whatever, but I feel like you have to embrace the intrinsic things that are you. Right. And to that point, like you said, like, you know, you can keep getting better and better at what you're doing by practice. If you're copying somebody else's style and, it, and not embrace your own style, I'm not saying copying shouldn't be done because I think it's a great learning style. But if you don't go any further with, you know, the, with the intention to you know, be embrace your own style and work on your own style and you know, just not lament anybody else, what anybody else is doing, um, you kind of pigeonhole yourself into a, a corner and you can't really break out of it until you really, you know, just do what's inside of you. I love that idea of going further. And I remember this. I mean, I'm going to relate this back actually to the first college paper that I wrote. Um, the professor basically said to me, um, okay, I can see that you've read eight books on the subject and you've told me what those eight books said, but what are you, what's your opinion? What are you saying? Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a moment for me because I had always thought of uh, a paper as kind of like reporting the quote unquote right answer. And you found the right answers right. in books. So I thought mm -hmm. that by going to the library and finding the right books and reading them and finding the appropriate passages and quoting them, you know, that I was giving the right answer to the question. And it was sort of an interesting idea that actually I had an opinion and what I needed to do was use the eight books to find the ways to support whatever my opinion on the topic was. And I think to relate that into art, it's like copying other people is great. It's a tool. It buttresses you. It helps you. It does whatever. But in the end, you need to find your opinion. And that's your personal expression, your style, your whatever else. You need to bring yourself to the table. Exactly. Actually, Julie, one of the things that you often say to students is talk to me and tell me what you like and what you don't like about your work here. 
because I think you need to add that intellectual component of actually analyzing what it is you do like and what it is you don't like. So you'll have an idea of which direction to go. Well, I think there's two things there, which is A, if you can't verbalize what the problem is, you can't fix it. You know, if you go to the doctor and you're like, I hurt. And he says, where? And you're like, I don't know. Literally, you would be, you'd never expect a doctor to fix that, right? But you Mm -hmm. will totally and completely be like, I don't like this. Why? I don't know. Well, I have no idea where to start at that point. You know what I mean? So verbalizing is the most important thing you can do to get towards fixing it. Because if you can figure out that you don't like it because it seems messy, then we can work towards making it seem less messy. If it seems too structured and you don't like it because it, you know, doesn't seem spontaneous, then let's find a way to make it spun. You know what I mean? Like every, once you can verbalize the problem, you can find the solution. And then the second part of that that I think is really important um, is that oftentimes, again, this comes down to personal choice. I look at my work and there are things that I like and things that I don't. If I asked you, mom, or if I asked you, Jody, like you would have different opinions about what's good and bad about it. So if somebody comes to me and says, how would you fix this? Or do you have any feedback? I'm always like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I don't want to put my personal agenda onto your work. You tell me what you like about it and what you don't like about it. And then I'll help you with that because in the end the only person you go home with is you and so you have to be able to trust your voice in the studio and not be hearing somebody else's voice in your head right i mean that's a good point like even as instructors um we may we know our way of doing things and we obviously know some technique techniques and you know strategies to help improve things but um you know for example like you said if, if somebody says like oh i don't like the colors and, you know, because I'm a cool color girl, you know, I might, in my answer might be throw a splash of teal on it. But if you're a neutral color girl, maybe the answer is throwing, throwing some quin gold on there, you know, is the answer. You know, but it's, 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 and there is no right or wrong answer. It's all, it has to do with you and your, um, you know, like you said, your intentions and, you know, your feelings is so subjective. So um, great points there. And I think I remember, sorry. Go ahead. (laughs) I remember one time Julie came back from an art class and she was extremely upset. She was upset because the instructor had come around and had painted on her drawing or on her painting to improve it. Oh, gosh. Yeah, that's such a fine line to walk. You know, and I've had people actually ask me to do it, but I would never just assume that that's the right, you know, way to go about helping somebody fix things, you know, but... You know, even if somebody asked me to, you know, paint on their their painting, I really try not to. I try to get, not try my best. And when somebody is so frustrated that they, you know, can't do it, I'll I'll, I'll obviously help them. But, um, but yeah, that is really invading somebody's space and you know taking away their ability to, you know, stand on their own two feet to make decisions. Well, for me, it's that's that is a that's a lazy teaching method that's about getting a good result instead of somebody actually learning the skill and I feel like yeah you can come over and draw directly on my painting to make the curve of the you know arm or whatever be exactly the right proportion it should be because you have years of experience of drawing that proportion and you get it but if I struggle with it, then I'm going to learn how to do it. If you do it, then it just looks good. And I have this thing I did in class and I'll never be able to do it again, you know, because it's too far yeah. advanced from where I am. 
I really exactly. think like all the good things that I have learned have come through struggle because it's it's only in that wrestling that you learn things, you know? Exactly. And, you know, and I think um, one's willingness to roll up their sleeves and do the work is so, is really the biggest trick of learning anything. Like no one can give you the answers to, you know, they can give you the answers, but like you said, like it's only fleeting, you know, in order to stand on your own two feet and be able to make decisions and improve in whatever you're doing, you have to be willing to do the work. And that means, you know, really observing things, you know, and practice and putting the, the practice hours in and, you know, not, you know, falling into the trap of having somebody else do the, do the work for you and just being okay with that. Now, I'm curious because you do sell a lot of work through galleries. Uh, I'm curious if you find that you create differently for like gallery work as opposed to classwork as opposed to personal work or if it sort of is all the same. Um, well, with my, the shops that I have in the galleries, I have mostly what I would say, quote unquote, boutiques. And I wouldn't say if you hear something, my, my dog's in the background here wanting to go out. But um, anyways, uh <laughs> Well, we'll let you go in a minute. It's okay. I know. I'm sorry, Charlie. Abuse just a second. Um, but anyways, like I have, I don't have like something like a museum of art gallery that I have all, all my work in, but I do try to work in collections. So for example, when I'm delivering for a gallery, I try to make sure they have, you know, anywhere from eight to 10 cohesive pieces or a grouping, a group of pieces that will go together. Um, I don't really try to change things. But I also may try to take it, you know, into um, note like what type of gallery it is or where it's located. I have like right now a lot of beach galleries, so they there's there's one beach gallery that that doesn't want anything in beach. She wants all different stuff, and then other ones tend to send you know sell things in a you know different color palette that might sell, you know, elsewhere. So I I don't try to create specifically for the gallery, but I do keep in mind like when I'm delivering things, what might go better in whatever shop it is that I'm delivering to. And how did you get started selling through galleries? Well, um, well, actually, like the first place I ever sold through was um, a, a little coffee shop. But I have a funny story to tell because my friend Jean, who's my best friend, um, and she'll, she'll be like, you know, this story gets wider and more of a bigger lie than ever every time <laughs> I tell it. But, um, you know, like I was looking for some, I was just getting into art and I'm like, I had met, I wanted to, you know, kind of connect with some local people that were artists. And I, I found this one place I had first Fridays, um, which is like, you know, a little, I don't like walk around and you kind of go to the different shops in the, on Friday evening in the local downtown area. So I went to this one gallery and um, my friend Jean owned it at the time. And I just loved it. I love the vibe. I love the shop. I love the people that were there. And I just had it in my mind. I was going to have some work there. And I have to say like, you know, at the time when I was, you know, wanting to approach her, um, I would just, I probably wasn't as good as I could be. I had like one painting and then a couple of random pieces and definitely not a cohesive collection. And she was just like, well, you know, um, the thing is Jody, like in order for me to display this, I really need to have more pieces and have a cohesive collection. And in my head, I heard you blah, 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 you suck or whatever, you know, you're not good enough to be here, you know, but she's really trying to give me some sage business advice. And I just like took it as a rejection. And I'm like, oh, and I put my little tail between my legs and I'm like, okay, I would never approach her ever again. But I did take what she said to heart. 
And I started a new collection called In the Village, which actually started on my little houses. And so I just decided, like, well, what's being meaningful to me at the time? And I had moved so many times. I didn't, I really felt displaced. I didn't feel like I had a sense of community or a lot of really great close friends because before I started, you know, before I was a full-time artist, I was a manager for a bank for a long time. And before that, a retail manager. So, you know, when you're in management, you can only have so many close friends at work where you kind of are, are with people that um, you're, you know, with like so many hours a week. And so I kind of felt isolated. So anyways, long story short, I, um, I started this, this collection of houses to kind of reconnect to the, you know, the sense of community that I was not, you know, receiving. And, um, that led to so many opportunities from, you know, cloth, paper, scissors accepted my first article and it was a little collection of little houses. And then, you know, I obviously painted tons of houses and I have collection after collection of this whole thing. And so, um, I did go to another shop after I developed a, a, a little bit more of a cohesive collection for back in the day and got accepted. And so anytime, like, and now Jean and I are like best friends. She's one of my, you know, studio co-partners and we also have a retreat business together. Um, but we always tell that story and, you know, it's like, I, you know, I talk about like, oh yeah, you told me I sucked and I didn't deserve to be in the gallery. And she's like, no, is that what I really said? You know, it was, it's funny like to hear what people, what you're hearing inside, you know, and you know, if I would have just gave it up at that point in time, um, I would have lost so many opportunities. So that's how I actually got, just got started. And one thing led to another, you know, and you just approach different galleries and, you know, and take a chance. I think the biggest lesson, well, I don't know, there's a lot of lessons. I think you have to be just, just ask the questions, you know, do your homework and um, take a chance. Um, that's how I've gotten things published. I've, that's how I've gotten into the shops and, you know, any opportunity I had for the most part, it's just because I've, I've just took a chance and asked for it. I think that's so. such great advice to just take a chance. And not only that, but I think to in rejection, if they don't give you a reason why, sometimes you can actually ask and say, you know, I, uh, I was just wondering if you could give me some feedback so I can be better the next time I apply or whatever. And oftentimes people will actually share an important nugget with you. Yeah. Well, even, even these DVDs I just did with cloth, paper, scissors, or interweave, um, like I submitted something in November and, um, you know, Janine Stein, who is the editor of cloth, paper, scissors, she, um, didn't full out reject me, but she asked me to go back and revise my proposals. Wasn't exactly what she was looking for. So if I would have just dropped it and not been willing to revise it, you know, roll up my sleeves and change it the way they wanted to. And I went back and I, you know, I had some more time and I re-proposed in the springtime and they were accepted. So you know, a no now is not a no forever. Yeah, it's hard because I think artwork is so personal because you put yourself into it. So it's hard when you get a rejection not to feel like it's a rejection of you. But you do have to remember is exactly what you said. Sometimes it's just not exactly what they're looking for at that moment. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I, I just try to not take it a little. And I have to admit, there's been things that I've taken things, taken personally and get rejected. But you can't let it, you just have to wipe it off, you know, wipe it off your back and keep moving forward and, you know, believing in yourself. And there's so many opportunities, but, you know, it, every no leads to a yes is what I used to always tell myself, my salespeople at, at the bank. And it's so true. Every no leads to a yes. I never think of a bank as having like needing to sell, sell, sell. Oh my God. Are you kidding me? <laughs> that's all we did. <laughs> that, I mean, that's how you, you really have to when you're doing, um, 
had to get new customers. You had to, you know, make loans. You have to, you know, you have to entice people to move their accounts to your account to build your customer base. And yeah, there's just so much selling. Believe me. <laughs> interesting. Interesting. So before we go, I just want to get to your book really briefly, which I know you're working on. Can you can you give us a hint about what it's about? Yeah, it's going to be a workshop type book. So lots of lots of really great instruction. And believe it or not, it's going to be about abstract painting for the mixed media artist. That's so perfect. That's I will need to read that book. I know. I'm excited about it. So I'm it's definitely been a dream. It's a dream coming coming true, and I am so thrilled to be able to be part of it. And it'll be um, it's pub it'll be published by um, Northlight Books. So um, definitely a company I'm very pleased to be working with. I've done a lot of work with them with, with um, you know magazine articles, of course our create events and you know the DVDs. So definitely feel at home with this group and um, looking forward to the opportunity. That's awesome. So uh, where can people find you online if they're looking for you? Yeah, I, I have my website is kind of in progress, but it leads to everything that I have. Um, right now, it's uh, it's www.jodyol.com, um, and in that you'll find my blog, which I update regularly. I'm always on Facebook, Instagram, and for the most part, I go by my full name on Twitter, Instagram. Um, my blog is a little bit different. It's sweetrepeats.blogspot.com. And old for everybody who knows is an OHL. And I follow Jody on Instagram and she always has lots of beautiful, colorful art to share and lots of stuff of works in progress too, which is really fun. Oh, thank you so much. And I love everything you do too, Julie. So it's been a pleasure. Um, I'm so glad that our um, past connected at, at Create. It's been great seeing you progress and your, follow your journey as well. Thanks. Um, Mom, do you have anything you would like to add? No, I'm just sitting here uh, as what you call your monkey, waiting for my next Mom, monkey don't order. Don't give away you. all my secrets, please. You guys are so cute together. <laughs> I really have to say that. I love the banter between the both of you. So, what are you, you doing, monkey? I'm telling you, you should see my bruises. I know. I have to say, my I'm not even kidding. No, she's not even kidding. I'm for my mother has been my assistant while I've been trying to like put up shelves and do other things. And my, my mother is almost 70 and she's been quite a trooper doing it. But I have managed to basically bruise, batter, and otherwise uh, hurt her. For uh, mama? <laughs> I know. Well, I'm sure she's doing a great job too for you. She is doing a great job. I'm just, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm not doing such a great job as a daughter, but I've said I'll make it up to her <laughs> and I'll uh, drive her to get her other cataract handled. <laughs> Thank you. There you go. Thank you so much. So. <laughs> Okay, so as always, you can find me at balzerdesigns.typepad.com and do leave us your comments or questions at balzerdesigns.com backslash arting. We'd love to hear from you. And if you tweet about the show, please use the hashtag pound arting podcast. So that's all one word, A-R-T-I-N-G-P-O-D-C-A-S-T. So thank you so much for listening. And we'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting podcast. <laughs>